Hey folks, I've been uh, teaching at universities and colleges, uh, either full or part-time for over 30 years. And in my experience, um, the vast majority of freshmen in college and universities shouldn't be there. They're not ready for it. Uh, their parents are cranking out all this tuition and I don't think it's being put to really good use. Uh, in my opinion, the Mormons have the right idea. Don't like their theology, but they're smart about this. Their assumption is that, that uh, upon graduating from high school, students are supposed to go on a one or two year missions trip. And uh, I think that that is just brilliant. We at Wilderness Church want to kind of borrow on that idea. We're starting a school of missional apprenticeship coming this fall. It'll be a school where students are immersed in a kingdom community and what it was, will look very much like a New Testament house church. Uh, they'll be being educated. I and a number of other teachers will be coming in and doing some teachings on stuff. Uh, but it, will, it won't just be intellectual theology stuff. It'll be uh, personal ministry stuff. It'll be forming your character stuff and getting involved in spiritual disciplines. It's the whole gamut. It's an immersion experience. And, and a school like this, taking nine months out to invest this intensely on the kingdom, will make a difference that for the rest of your life, whether you go to, on, to college or into a trade school or whatever, you're going to come out of this a much more kingdomized person than you, than you were coming into it. So I'd like to encourage you to seriously pray about the possibility of uh, becoming part of our, our school of missional apprenticeship. But it's not only limited to people who just got out of high school. Uh, it may be that you're just getting out of college and there's not a clear job opportunity. You're not clear what the direction you're supposed to go in or whatever. Uh, consider becoming part of the school of missional apprenticeship. Uh, it'll make a difference for the rest of your life. Bless you, bless you. Hello, Woodland Hills. I said, hello, Woodland Hills. Hello. All right, you're there, you're awake. All right, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. If you're visiting, uh, I'm, I'm, my name's Greg Boyd, and I'm a teaching pastor here. In fact, my name's still Greg Boyd, even if you're here for a long while. Sometimes we, we get really smart around here. Okay, so here's the deal. We're starting a new series uh, this morning called Nothing to Lose. Because when you understand your life properly and your relationship with Christ properly, you realize you have nothing to lose. And it's going to be about generosity and things like that. I want to start with this. Has anyone else here noticed, especially like in the last 10 years, that uh, there's like a proliferation of advertisements in unconventional places? Have you noticed that like Ben Smith, there's a commercial there, there's an advertisement there. All over the place, there's this explosion of advertisements in unexpected weird places. So like, there's this gas station I always get my gas from close to my house in St. Paul, and they were bought out by a bigger company and they redid all their gas pumps. So I go to get my gas, and all of a sudden there's a screen on the gas pump and the person's selling me stuff. Have you seen that? Yeah. So you're pumping gas and now you gotta listen to a commercial. Yeah. Who thought of that? It's like there's like some advertising masterminds someplace and they're just sitting around thinking, when is a moment when a person has any kind of downtime and let's find a way to sell them stuff? Every possible place where you might have some alone time, some quiet time, there's got to be commercial. Everywhere. Like last year, I was at the sports, sports bar and I went to the bathroom to relieve myself. Bathroom. Private space, you think, right? You walk up to the urinal and there's a screen there and it seems, the woman starts selling me a car. I don't want to have a woman selling me a car when I'm trying to take a pee. You know, it's just, there's something unnatural about this. Just having a woman talk to me seems weird. I'd like to stare at a blank wall. Thank you very much. But see, the masterminds are thinking, okay, where's the spot where, you know, we have a, talk about a captive audience. What, what are you going to do? Okay, you got me. I got to stand here and listen to you. 
But uh, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's, it's almost sinister. You know, God forbid that we should ever have any kind of actual downtime. Or, you know, the, the, the latest thing I've heard, the latest way they're going to invade our privacy, these masterminds, uh, I just read this this week. They're, they're going to have on cars a dashboard, uh, and the dashboard in the car is going to be popping up advertisements. And I don't know the details about it and stuff, but it, it's going to lower the cost of cars because now the car is going to be subsidized by advertising. That's a plus. But what a nuisance! And, and, and it's going to be, um, like, there'll be smart cars, so they'll learn your driving habits and your shopping habits, and so they can customize their, their uh, commercials just to you. And it'll be, it'll be attached to a GPS system, so that, like, for example, let's say you like Carboni's Pizza, and the car knows that. Well, then, if you're driving around, there's a Carboni Pizza three miles away, there'll be an advertisement. Oh, don't you like Carboni's Pizza? They're coming, blah, blah, blah. And what if you're on a diet and you're trying to quit Carboni's Pizza, huh? Now you got the devil in the car tempting you all the time. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a sad situation. It's the internet. Advertisements everywhere. And they never leave you alone. And the internet knows more about you than you do. So they know exactly what you like and exactly how to sell it to you. It's, uh, last December, I started, was doing a Google search because I want to buy myself, you know, I, I want to upgrade my drum set for, for a Christmas present to myself. I'm 60 and I get to, all right? So I, I, I was looking for used drum sets on the internet. And I got a set, and I love it. But I, now I get nothing but drum sets coming at me. And, and I'm trying to, like, read an article or something. And there's, but on the sides, there's all these drum things. And it bugs me because I like drum things. And they know I like drum things. So it's, and I have ADD. So I'm like constantly, well, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. And I try to ignore it. But then there's a drum set that's so cool. And I already have a drum set, so I'm not interested in buying a new one. But that one sure is kind of neat. And then they're hoping that one of these days I'm going to see one that's so awesome that I'll go, forget my drum set. I got to get that one. And we are just being deluged with this stuff. Masterminds, that's like they're trying to commercialize all space and time. Everywhere you look and, and, and everything you hear and every moment. Uh, it's going to be filled with the commercial, pe- things coming at you. Uh, it used to be in the good old days, back in the good old days, that, that you, com- commercials were simply TV's way of telling you it's time to go get a snack or go to the bathroom before your show comes back on. Things were so much simpler then. Now it's not just television and radio. Now it's everywhere. It's on your car. It, it, have you seen these cars? That they, the whole car is one big billboard. I guess people get paid for that, right? Or maybe they get the cars cheaper. I don't know. But uh, you have a Pepsi car and, and, and a 7-Up car and a Dr. Pepper car and a Heineken beer car and a Carboni's pizza car. There's billboards everywhere. So it's not just on television and radio anymore. It's on our cars. It's in our cars. It's in the, on buses, on trucks, on planes, on taxis, on, on bathrooms and billboards and, and our iPhones and, and iPads and, and computer screens and on our clothing. It's everywhere. The average American, I've read, uh, we'll see 7,000 advertisements each day, on average. 7,000 coming at us. And, and, and what's concerning about this is that the vast majority of those advertisements are designed to do one thing, and that is to make you discontent. And some of the brightest minds in neuroscience are part of those masterminds learning how to craft commercials to make you feel discontent. So that you'll, feel, you'll have a discontentment with what you've got, and now you'll hunger for this new and improved thing, this, this bigger and better thing, this fancier, faster thing, this more convenient thing, the, the more efficient thing, the better appealing thing. So it, 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 it's, it's getting us in a state of 
Wishville. We always wish we could have that. It works like this. Uh, so like last fall, I was watching television and a commercial came on uh, and it was about g- this new kind of garden hose. Uh, and it's super light and super flexible and never kinks and it never freezes or gets stiff. And you can wrap it up really easy and store it really easy. But it is more expensive. Uh, and, and I remember thinking to myself when I first saw the commercial, who would ever spend that much on stupid garden hoses? So a couple days later, uh, we're getting our yard ready for winter. And uh, my job is to wrap up our garden hose. And it had been cold for a couple days, so the garden hose was stiff. And you like to get... I don't know how you... <laughs> I haven't told the joke yet. What are you laughing about? <laughs> uh, you like to wrap up your garden hose. It's nice and round. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And so you can hang it on the wall. But this garden hose, it was stiff. So you got to like, and I'm trying to do that arm thing like this. You know how you do it? Like, but it's like bending a crowbar. You know, and, and, and then there's these kinks. So that all of a sudden it goes out this way. So you're trying to get the kink, but then it pops out over here. So you push it in there and it pops out over there. It's like, it's so frustrating. Finally, the thing just pops out and it turns like into a spring. It just all flies out. And you got to start all over again. And you're getting dirty and sweaty because it's so hard and so much. So all of a sudden, I start thinking, like, uh, <laughs> that extra cost doesn't seem. See, you know, roll, wrapping up hoses has never been fun, but you do it without complaining because there's no alternative. But now there's an alternative. And knowing about that alternative makes this all the more miserable. <laughs> you see, I'm tormented. I'm discontented with this. I'm thinking to myself, as I'm wrapping up, gosh, it sure would be nice to have one of those super light, super flexible, unkinkable, unfreezable, not stiff, easy to roll up, wrap up, and store away hoses. I wish. So I went out and bought one. <laughs> like a good brainwashed American. <laughs> I went out and got my, hey, guys, it really is. It, it, it was worth it. It's a good investment. I'll tell you. It's, it, <laughs> These things are, they, they stretch and they, they go, you ought to get some. I can tell you guys to struggle with this. Oh, you, got, you already got them. <laughs> Join the brainwash club. Hey, you, were, oh, you got two of them. <laughs> Do I hear three? Uh, it, 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 it's, it's, so now I'm the commercial. And what's wrong with this picture? Uh, the masterminds, folks, are reducing us down to little cogs in the relentless wheel of consumerism. So it, it works like this. Uh, they introduce a new possibility. You can get the new and improved, the bigger, better, the faster, the flashier, the more convenient, the more efficient, the more appealing. And then seeing that alternative makes you discontent with what you've got. I want that. And they're hoping that you go out and then now purchase it. And that's what makes our economy go around. And, and even if you don't purchase it, you wish you could purchase it. Just knowing that it's there makes you discontent. Well, I have to put a stupid hose, I can have a fancy one. And, 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 and so you, you, there's a discontentment there. You wish you could get it. So, so the, the masterminds are, are, are moving us all into Wishville, the land of discontent. We live in wishes. They're always like, oh, what I don't have. I, we, we, in fact, we should title the sermon, Wishville. Getting out of Wishville, the land of discontent. And uh, uh, it's just not right. So the, the, the thing is this. In light of all that, um, several commands in the Bible take on extra significance. Today's message is brought to you by Double Shot Energy Drink, Starbucks. And we need a little extra push in the morning. Okay, so two commands in the Bible take on extra significance in the light of this. Be content, be content, and be generous. 
You find it throughout the New Testament? It's there in the Old Testament as well. Be content and be generous, and you're not going to be able to do the second unless you're able to do the first. If you're discontent, it's not going to be much generosity because you're too busy chasing your own stuff. So I'd like us to look at a passage of, uh, in the Bible from uh, Paul in 1 Timothy 6. The, the, just prior to this passage I'm going to read, Paul is talking about people who are using godliness to, for their own gain. The idea here is that uh, if I please God with my godliness, he'll bless me with all sorts of stuff. All right? Which is, sounds very American, doesn't it? So um, Paul is arguing against this view. Okay, don't think that the gain of, of, of piety or of godliness isn't getting stuff. Here's what he says. Here's what he says. Okay. Of course, of course there's gain in godliness. Okay, you're right. Godliness does lead to gain, but not like you think. There's great gain in godliness when it's combined with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. Paul's saying, you're right, godliness does lead to great gain. But the, the great gain is not in, in, in your prosperity, that God's going to give you more stuff, God's going to make you rich. The gain of true godliness, when it's kind of combined with contentment, is you no longer are striving to be rich. That's not your focus anymore. And the contentment is itself the gain of godliness. If you've got contentment here, well, you're, you're as rich as anyone on the planet because you're not longing for anything more. You're not striving after it. So Paul's saying that if you want, if you want true godliness, uh, then, then practice, cultivate the Christ-like kind of godliness that frees you from the desire to be rich, that frees you from always wanting more, that frees you from being lured to the new and improved and the faster and the fancier and the better and the bigger, uh, that, that, that frees you to let go of that. That is true godliness. And if you've got that, if you've learned the secret of contentment, then you are as rich as any person on the planet, as rich as any person on the planet. Because um, you've got what everyone else is striving for. Why do people strive after more and new and better and improved and fancier stuff? Why? They're looking for a kind of contentment. And unfortunately, they've bought the lie of the masterminds that, that contentment is found, if only you can get this, if only you can acquire this, well, then you'll be content. But it's a lie. It never works. It never works because there's always new and improved, better, faster, and fancier stuff. At some point, you hit a ceiling where you can't go any higher, and, and so you're still living in Wishville. Maybe a little fancier version of Wishville, but you're still living in Wishville, full of this desire. The truth is, contentment comes only when you, when, you, when, you, when you reject the lie. You die to the lie that contentment is found in acquiring stuff. And you realize that contentment is when you no longer are desiring more and more stuff. And, and if you're in that state, you're, in, you're as wealthy as any person on the planet. You're rich because you've got what everyone else is striving for. I don't care if you're living in a, in, in a leaky shack with one set of clothing that you've got to wear day after day and surviving on Spam and macaroni and cheese. If you're content with that, you're rich. Amen. You're rich. You're rich. A treasure that is priceless. Amen. That is the, the great gain of godliness. And then Paul explains. He says this, uh, that you brought nothing into this world. And you're not going to take anything out with you. And, and so if you've just got your basic needs met, well, be content with that. Be content with that. And what Paul's doing here is he's, he's saying, take a broader look at your life here. And, and, and realize that the second you die, you lose it all. You don't take anything with you. You'll, you will own, when you exit this world, you'll own the exact same things that you had when you entered this world. And that is nothing. Nada. Nil. Zippo. 
Uh, it's, it's, you, you've got nothing. So you've got to check it all in at the door when you leave. When you get on that flight to go up to yonder land, everything's got to be left at the door. So it, it reminds me of this thing that happened to me this, two weeks ago. I was coming back from California. Did some ministry out there, and I'm getting on the plane uh, to come back home. And so you've got to go through the security check, right? The lady in front of me had in her bag, they said, ma'am, there's some things in your bag we got to check out. Well, she opens up her bag, and they, first they take out this hair conditioner or hair shampoo, uh, which is way more than three ounces, like eight ounces. And she's complaining, do you know how expensive that shampoo was? He says, ma'am, if you're going to get on that flight, you've got to leave this here. You can't take this with you. And then she gets a hairspray, a bottle of hairspray. She's really into her hair, I think. And, and they said, ma'am, you can't take that. She's, she was complaining. If you want to get on that flight, you've got to leave that here. And then they found a, a, a little bottle of Jim Beam whiskey. <laughs> it's like, lady, have you ever flown before? <laughs> Do you have any idea what you're doing here? And she really got mad at that. She starts going on about, Do you know how expensive $6 for a little thing of whiskey on the plane? I, I, I should be able to bring my own on. It's like, ma'am, these are the rules. If you're going to get on the plane, you've got to leave this behind. Well, folks, if we're going to get on, well, we are not if. When we get on that plane... Uh, that's going to exit this world, uh, we got to leave it all behind. Uh, we got to get out of here butt naked. It, it's, it's just, uh, that, that, that's the price of admission on this thing. And unlike the lady, we don't have a choice about it. You're going to get on that plane. The question is, is how, 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 how tightly are you going to cling to your stuff? Because if you're clinging to it, it's going to hurt, right? Uh, you're going to lose it all. And so what Paul is saying is this. You're going to lose it all when you have to exit this world. It's going to be worthless to you when you exit this world. So therefore, don't put much worth on it now. Don't, push, don't, don't, don't invest a whole lot of worth. Let it mean to you what it, what it meant to you when you entered this world. Uh, when, when you entered this world, you weren't clinging to anything. And when you leave this world, you can't cling to anything. So don't cling to anything now. That's what Paul is saying. If you've got a nice house, wonderful. Hallelujah. Thank God. Uh, enjoy that. But, 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 but don't think that that house is, so, is worth clinging to. You weren't clinging to it when you came to this world. You can't cling to it when you leave this world. So don't cling to it now. And if you've got a smaller house or an apartment or wherever you're living, don't think that that fancy house is worth being envious of or that, that, that it, it, it's worth feeling discontented about because you don't have it. No. Knowing that you lose it all when you have to leave this world, well, in a sense, lose it all now. Don't cling to it now. Don't grasp after anything now. Uh, just be willing to let it go. And then, then Paul turns to, to address, and later on in this chapter, he's going to address some things to, to some rich people. What, what Timothy is supposed to tell the rich. Now, here's the thing. I bet everybody in this auditorium, or at least 99.9% .9 of us, are really thinking, well, this doesn't apply to me because I'm not rich. Uh, it's the funny thing about being rich. It, it's, it's, it, it's always the people who earn a little bit more than you do and have a little bigger house than you do and fancier car than you do and have more luxury than you do. And, and that's true even, I'm told, for many millionaires. It's like, oh, no, the, the wealthy are those who are just above. We need to zoom out and, and take a global and historical look at things. If, if you look at our life from a global and historical perspective, probably the vast majority of us are very rich by historical standards. Even if you're relatively poor in America, your standard of living is better than that of a king 100 years ago. You've got inside plumbing. <laughs> you know, it, it, there's so many things that we just take for granted, but our life, our, 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 we, we live... King's lives, most of us, by historical and global standards. So this passage does apply to us. So listen to this. Here's what Paul says, tells Timothy to tell the rich. As for those who in this present age are rich, emphasis on present age, because being rich in this present age doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be rich in the next age, but he's going to tell us how to be rich in the next age. Command them not to be haughty 
arrogant, uh, so as to, uh, or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather set your hope on God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, they are to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, listen to this, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. So they'll be rich in the future, so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. So if you're rich, by global and historical standards, listen up. And you are. Uh, don't be haughty with that. Don't be arrogant with that. Don't think that your possessions make you something that people who have less don't have. I mean, don't, don't, don't get life from that. Don't make that your identity. Uh, and don't put any trust in that, because riches are here today, gone tomorrow. And the one thing that's certain about them is you can't take any of it with you. None of it. You've got to leave it behind. That nice house of yours, okay, I'll check it in. That boat, uh, that cabin, you've got to check that in. And all those pearls, all that gold, all the jewelry, whatever you've got, that bank account, the real estate, whatever you've got, it's got to be checked in to get on that plane. Uh, so, so, so don't put any trust in that. Rather, put all your trust in God, who richly provides us all these things for our enjoyment. Now, that, that, that was a passage that was really important to me about 20 years ago because I got my undies up in a bundle over the fact that I could have anything that someone else lacked. I, I felt guilty if I had something that other people don't ha have. The world's just grotesquely unfair and arbitrarily. And so I'm here born in America and someone else is born in Haiti and I have stuff that they don't have and I felt guilty about that. Paul says this, like the world's not a fair place, but, but, but you're not going to make it fair by trying to get to the lowest common denominator so you can enjoy this. There's, every good gift comes from the Father above. And I got lucky, was born in a land where a lot of those gifts can make it down to me. And so he says, enjoy that, but don't just enjoy it. He tells Timothy, you tell those rich folks, yeah, you can enjoy that. God richly blesses, but at the same time, if you're rich, now make sure that you're rich in generosity. Uh, be content with what you have and therefore be generous with, 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 with what you have. And so if you're, if you're wealthy, well, be wealthy spiritually too by being wealthy and rich in, in your willingness to share and your willingness to give to others, to care about others, to share the fortune that you have. Be rich in good work, works. And then he says, and in doing that, you're storing up a treasure, a foundation for the future, namely your post-mortem future. That's what he's talking about. So here's the thing. Here's the deal. Follow this. If you are clinging to your stuff, and maybe always wanting to have more stuff, if you cling to it, it becomes worthless to you the minute you die. Utterly worthless. You can't take any of it with you. But if you manifest the love of God by your willingness to share with others and give it away, now what you are sharing and giving away, you do take with you. And it lasts forever. Do the math on this thing. Cling to your money, you lose it forever, give it away, and you keep it forever. There you go. You know, people are, are, are worried about their, their retirement. What am I going to do when I quit working? And, and that's a good thing. I mean, that's, that's, that's natural. In fact, what I've read is that more Americans need to be thinking about their, their future. So that's fine. But folks, the retirement we really ought to be interested in investing in and storing up stuff in is the one that begins the minute we die. And the way we invest in that future is by unloading, by giving stuff away, by being outrageously generous. God is outrageously generous to us, and we want to replicate that towards others, giving it away. Because the only thing that lasts forever is love, and when you're investing in love, it goes with you forever. That's the one thing you take with you, amen? So be thinking about your retirement. 
But the earthly retirement maybe lasts 10, 20, maybe 30 years if you're lucky. But the retirement I'm talking about lasts forever. The one you really want to be concerned with is the one that never, never ends. Hang on to your money, you lose it forever, give it away, and you keep it forever. And that's the best retirement advice you're ever going to get. <laughs> and it's free. I tell you, all these financial advisors get hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars for giving advice on what to do with the last 10, 20, 30 years of your life. I give advice on what's going to go on for eternity and I don't get a dime. Oh, I'm so Christ-like. Hallelujah. <laughs> so godliness with contentment is great gain. Here's the thing, folks. Um, you know, you, you, that, that makes sense. I think everyone gets the point here. It's like, okay, i got to be investing in the future and all that. And you can have a sincere heart that wants to do that. But it won't happen. It won't happen if you're still caught up in Wishville. If your heart is discontent, it won't happen. Not, not in any kind of significant way. You can maybe make a vow, okay, this, this year I'm going to just be really generous. I'm going to give away X percent of my income, da, 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 da. But if you still have discontent in your heart, man, you're going to be, you'll, 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 you can't help it. You'll be going after the new and improved and the faster and the flashier and the bigger and the better and all of that. You'll, you'll, you'll just be doing it. And you'll find at the end of the year, you just don't seem to have much left over to give to anyone else. It just sort of happens. But maybe next year's going to be better. The issue is the discontentment in your heart. As long as that's there, it's like getting a cut on your, on your, on your, your leg or any place in your body where you're bleeding out. That's not the time where you're going to be thinking about the welfare of others. You're bleeding. So also, if you've got this discontentment in your heart, it, it makes us self-centered. It, it, that's, all we, that's really all we think about. If, if you've got discontentment in, in your heart, probably generosity is not going to be high on your radar screen because you're too busy chasing stuff. So, so godliness with contentment is great gain. Great gain. Paul wasn't kidding when he said that. It, it, it's, it's, it's your treasure now. It's your treasure now because you have what everyone else is, 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 is striving for. And so you're, you're as rich as any person on the planet, but it also is what empowers you to now be investing in the future, to be rich in the future. Uh, it, it's, it's the key to everything. So I want to end by giving three quick tips on how to cultivate a, um, uh, a, a content heart. And we'll be talking more about this in, in the weeks to come. Uh, the first one is one that I bet everyone here has heard me say, unless this is your first time visiting, because this is the theme I come back to the most, and I don't mind repeating it because we need it over and over again because it's foundational to everything. In fact, probably a lot of you could guess what I'm going to say. Point number one, get all your life from Christ. Everybody say it. Get all your life from Christ. Because as you heard me teach here before, everybody on the planet is born with a God-shaped vacuum in their heart. Um, a, a, vacuum, a vacuum that only God can fill. And that, that, that vacuum is a hunger to feel fully alive, to feel like, like life's worth living. That hunger is, is to feel like your life is significant, that you've got worth, uh, that, you're, that you're loved, and that you're secure in that. Every human being longs for that. And only God's love can fill that need. And, and if God's love isn't filling that need, well then, at the core of our being, we've got a discontentment. There's a yearning, there's a hunger that's there. And if God's love isn't filling that, 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 that vacuum, well, then we try to fill it in other ways. And there's a million idolatrous ways to do it, but the primary one in America is to chase after the new and improved and the better and the bigger and the faster and the fancier and the, the more appealing and more comfortable and more efficient. All right? it's, it's a way of, 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 of trying to meet that need. But it never, of course, works because the need is deeper than that. The reason the advertisements work on us and succeed in making us discontent is because there's an even deeper discontentment that's already there. And all the commercial is doing is tapping into that discontentment and now associating it with their product. 
It's ingenious. It's ingenious. And the only way to fight that off, to ward against that, is to not be discontent in the core of your being, which means we need to be regularly going back to Jesus and getting our life and our worth and significance from him. Letting him just love on us. Make a date with Jesus. I like to turn off the lights and, and, and put on some nice background music and just ask the Spirit to bring me to the real Jesus. And then now I want to experience his love. I want to see it. I want to feel it. I want to hear it. And Jesus says to me all the things that he says about me in the Bible, but he says it to me looking into my eyes with my name. And my soul is just made to drink of that love. Just bask in that. And I encourage us to be doing that on a regular basis. If you're not quite clear what I'm talking about, I encourage you to get the book out in the gathering area called Seeing is Believing. Because see, knowing that you should get all your life from Christ isn't going to do it. You need to be experiencing that love and drinking from that well. The world of difference between knowing that there's water in this well and actually drinking from the water in the well. We need to be drinking it in on a regular basis. And then as we go throughout the day, remind yourself that your life is Christ. Nothing else really matters. Uh, your life is Christ and he is enough. He is your sufficiency you don't need to be caught up in this rat race of trying to get more and more stuff. Get all your life from Christ. Number two, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Jesus taught us that. A, 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 a kingdom is any dome over which someone is king. Right? That's the king's dome. So the kingdom of God is where God reigns. And to seek first the kingdom of God means that we are, as followers of Jesus, to make it our highest priority to bring every aspect of our life into alignment with his will and his character, to bring it under that dome. And when we do that, now we are part of the dome over which God is king. And that's how the, that's how the dome expands, right? Um, some people have this screwy idea. They maybe don't think this thought, but it's sort of a common cultural assumption that when you make Jesus Lord of your life, what it means is that now you're going to go to church. And you want to avoid the real big sins, of course. But basically, your life goes on as before. Uh, and so what happens is a lot of people make Jesus the Lord of their life, but the life they actually live is pretty much their Lord of their own life. They have their own plans, their own schemes, they do their own thing. It says they live as though Christ wasn't Lord. The truth is, folks, if Jesus is Lord of our life, then he's Lord of our life. And our li he's Lord over every aspect of our life. Amen? So if Jesus is Lord of your life, then he's Lord not just over your Sunday morning, he's Lord over your, the whole Sunday, and he's Lord over... Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And he's Lord over every hour of every day and every minute of every hour and every second of every minute. Amen? And he's Lord over your finances and Lord over your talent. He's Lord over your relationships. He's Lord over your body. He's Lord over your possessions, over your car, over your house, or whatever you got. He's Lord over your good times. He's Lord over your bad times. He's Lord over your work. He's Lord over your play. He's Lord over everything you trust in. And he's Lord over everything you hope for. That's what it means to make Jesus Christ Lord of your life. Amen? And so, encourage us. Make it a high priority to be just submitting everything about us to him on a regular basis. You can't do this once and then coast. There's no coasting in the kingdom. It's, 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 a, it's a habitual thing. It's something you have to cultivate. Look at your house and just consciously say, Lord, I submit that to you. Look at your car and say, Lord, I submit this to you. Look at your bank account. Lord, I submit this to you. Look at your wardrobe. Lord, I submit this to you. See, that's a way of keeping it, of not clinging to it. To submit it means you open up your palms so you're no longer clinging to stuff. And see, if you're living like this, Going through that security station on the way to the flight to the heavenly realms isn't going to be painful. Talked about this last week. But if you're clinging to it, <laughs> it's not going to be pleasant. Let go of it now, like Paul says, and submit it to him. And then ask him for wisdom. Given all this, what are you supposed to enjoy? And if he lets you enjoy it, enjoy it without guilt. 
But also, what am I supposed to be investing in my future with? What am I supposed to be giving away? What am I supposed to be pouring into love? And, 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 and listen to his guidance on that. Submit everything to Jesus. And the final thing is to practice generosity. You know, the, the way, one of the best ways to know, honestly, whether or not you have a content or discontent heart. Because Jeremiah 17.3, the heart is desperately wicked. We, we don't even know ourselves very well. So honestly, just take a look at your life and, and ask the question, how generous am I? Uh, how much do you give away? The thing is about with Americans is the average American gives 2.5% of their income away. They feel really good about that. Uh, it's real generous. Well, we can't conform our idea of generosity to the cultures. We have to do it according to God. Uh, we're to be generous the way God is generous. And so, so really ask the question, what percentage of, of what I have and what I own is, is, is being invested in others? But it also works the other way around. One of the ways to cultivate a content heart is to start being generous. There's been a number of studies that have shown that there is a, statist a statistically significant relationship between a person's happiness and their generosity. Giving stuff away is one way of, of bringing about a content heart. It just works like that. I suspect it's because we're made in the image of God and God is generous. And so when we're, when, when we're investing in other people, whether it's our time or our money or whatever, when we're doing that, it really is the thing that's most natural to us. Now, in a fallen condition, it initially doesn't feel natural, but it is. And there's a joy in that. There's a joy in that. And, and, and so, so I encourage you to live with a mindset of generosity. What can you give away? Uh, start, start with little things. Just try out little things. Look around your house. What don't you need? Give it away. Shelly and I have this policy. I would recommend it. If we see something in our closet that we haven't worn for a year, give it away. Because if I haven't worn it for a year, I clearly don't need it, and I apparently am not enjoying it. And so I'm supposed to get rid of it. Um, yeah, now if you ask me, do you like that shirt? I probably would say, oh yeah, that's one of my favorite shirts. But if I haven't worn it in a year, it proves that I'm a liar. <laughs> so get rid of it. It's just, and the unloading, you know, there is gravity to stuff. Gravity. It's like Jupiter, if you were on Jupiter, you'd weigh like 900 pounds because there's much more gravity. The more mass there is, the more gravity there is. And this applies to our possessions. The more we have, there's kind of a gravity to it. It is a heaviness to it. And this is why the Bible warns those who are rich to be careful because, man, there's a, there's a pull to this stuff. You can start chasing it and make an idol of it or whatever. And just getting rid of that mass makes you feel lighter. It does. You declutter. It just it feels lighter. It feels great. And so I encourage you to be asking the question, what do you need and what are you supposed to give away? But also be open to this because God sometimes does this. You may think you need that, and the Lord says, you know what? you got to lower your needs. It's a little, a little more radical surgery, but it's beautiful. There's folks at Wilderness Church that have just decided, for no other reason than to be generous, to cut their house cost in half and their car cost in half or whatever you cut in half. Downsize! And that immediately frees up all this other stuff to be investing in your post-mortem retirement. Uh, to be investing in love, to be putting on display the character of the Father. So just be open to the Father's leading. And practice. Start with little things. And just move into it. Acts of generosity. And watch what that does to your heart. It's, I think, one of the funnest things in the world. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. I'll, I'll end with this. What is true about us individually is also true of us as a, as a church. As a church body, we need to honestly take an inventory once in a while. We all need this. Uh, and ask honestly the question, how generous are we being? How self-focused are we and how other-focused are we? How, how are we stewarding our resources? I'll say this, that, that I, I, 
as I do this, um, I feel really honored to be part of a congregation that is growing immensely in terms of our generosity. Uh, it's, it's been a beautiful thing the last 10 years, the journey we've been on. Um, I feel great about the, uh, the seven nonprofits that we have partnered with by opening up space to them and, 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 and sharing volunteers and sometimes money and, and, and partnering with them because we're, we're feeding a lot of people and we're giving housing to a lot of people and we're providing mentoring for a lot of young kids after school and we have job training stuff and, and there's a ton of great stuff that's going on and I give God the, uh, the glory for that. I feel great that we're doing that. For the last seven years, we've uh, uh, opened up the church to be an overflow homeless shelter for a month or two months. We just got Got done with one in March and, and April. And, and that's a, a beautiful sharing of resources. And over 300 people volunteered over those two months to make that happen. And see, that's generosity with your time. That's what Tanya's talking about, being generous with your time, giving back to God. Yes, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. There's a lot of folks volunteering around here. And on volunteer, uh, in preparation for Volunteer Sunday that we had a little while ago, um, we, we wrote out thank you cards to all the volunteers. And there's over 650 cards that we sent out. And so there's a lot of generosity that people are having with their time, and I thank God for it. We support uh, missionaries overseas. We have short-term missions trips. There's a lot of stuff like that. I, I, I praise God. I am honored to be part of a congregation that has that as a, as, as a high priority. But in the kingdom, there's no coasting, right? We always say that around here. If you're not growing, you're dying. And so that's why we always need to be pursuing the Lord with, with, with intentionality. And so we're not going to coast on laurels. No, we, we want to always be growing in our generosity. We always want to be challenging people to not be coasting on last year's instructions. To always be going to the Lord anew, saying, Lord, what would you have me to do with my time and my resources and all of that? I'm happy to say that, that, that um, in terms of growing in generosity, we're taking a big step right now. This is a huge, beautiful step that I'm very excited about. Uh, this last week, uh, Oshita Moore accepted an invitation to become our community outreach pastor. Amen? Uh, that is good news. Um, Oshida, would you come up here? Okay, so here's the thing. Uh, Oshida's married to TC, this wild guy that I've known for 15 years. And they just happened to move to the Twin Cities, and TC is now the lead pastor of Roots Covenant Church in the Midway area. And, and uh, Oshida here is a published author. And, uh, uh, it's called Sistas. Shalom. Shalom Sistas. Shalom Sistas with an A, right? With an a. And, and, she's, uh, and she's writing another book on spiritual warfare, and she's an avid blogger, and she's got her own podcast. Uh, what's your podcast address? Oh, it's called Shalom Sisters, too. So, so you can Google that and, and listen to her podcast. How come I've never been invited on yet? But we'll talk about it later. You're not and, a sister. Yeah, <laughs> that's <okay. laughs> I am, too. All right. Uh, and, and so on top of uh, being an outreach pastor who's going to be looking at ways that we can improve in our generosity to the community and other nonprofits and stuff like that, she's going to be on our teaching team, uh, preaching, helping out with the preaching, and she's also going to be working on, she's very media savvy, internet savvy, which I am not so much, and, and, and so she'll be helping us with our parishioners and building a better relationship with them and serving them well and stuff like that. So yes. I, I want you to introduce yourself by telling us um, a little bit about your background when it comes to doing this kind of thing, outreach. Sure, stuff. yeah. So, some experiences you had. Uh, yeah, so my husband and I have been doing urban core development outreach for the past 14 years um, in New Orleans and then in Boston and then L.A. and now here. And so the idea or the, the, the pa I have a passion for making practical, accessible ways for all of us to love and practice, love our neighbors and practice generosity in real everyday ways. And so I've always been kind of looking for like, what are the on-ramps that people can, can jump 
jump on to get to know their neighbors or get to love their neighbors better or to even know like what are the partnerships that my church has and how can I be a part of it. Um, those kind of things can feel so overwhelming for us. We kind of think either it's the mission trip or those who are really extroverted or those who have a lot of resources. But actually like if we follow Jesus and we have the Holy Spirit and we have experienced the love of Jesus, then it is our calling to go out there and love others, All to right. love generously. And so my hope is through this role to be able to uh, look at what we're doing, find some ways to invite you all, things that are family-centered, things that work in different time frames, so that we can all begin practicing generosity. That's um, great. Preach it. <laughs> Sorry, Greg already preached. Um, but so my experience, I, I have a lot, but I'll tell you my favorite thing that I've done in one of our church plants. We did this uh, outreach called Operation Turkey Sandwich on Thanksgiving um, because we, we had heard about another church doing it in another city, and we loved what it was, and so we wanted to contextualize it for our our church plant in Boston. And our church plant was right in the middle in a neighborhood that was that uh, was, that neighbored a really affluent community. And then on the other side was an under-resourced neighborhood with lots of um, immigrant families and, and families just starting out. And we wanted to create a bridge for people to be able to see each other. And we noticed that a lot of these uh, people were working what you would call like blue collar jobs, so they had to work on the holidays. And so the weeks leading up to Thanksgiving, we reached out to all of our community partners, everybody who was on our newsletter, we used our Facebook, and we said, we want to be able to let these people who have to work on Thanksgiving know that we see them, that we love them, and that, and, and we just want to cheer them on and thank them for selflessly working on Thanksgiving. And the way we did that was we put together lunch bags for them that replicated a Thanksgiving dinner. So there was a Thanksgiving, there was a turkey sandwich and all the fixings of a Thanksgiving dinner and a little note. And we put together about 200 of those. But what was really cool is that so many people helped out in different ways. We had small groups making turkeys and carving it and delivering it to us. And we had people doing packing parties. So we would bring the elements and they would put it together. We had people getting up on Sunday morning and saying, I'm going to give this amount of dollars to this initiative. And it was so amazing to see how everybody came together because we all wanted to show the love of Jesus in a really real, mm -hmm. real contextualized way. And so that morning we went out. We had about 50 people on our team. We gave out, like I said, about 200 lunches, and we went to fire. We went to firehouse ladders, and we went to. We saw police officers and bus drivers and people in convenience stores because somebody always runs out of milk on Thanksgiving morning, and uh, and we met so many people on the street who were working. And then whatever we had left over, we gave to the homeless so that they can know that we would see them and love them on Thanksgiving Day. So that's one thing that I that I organized that I, I'm so proud of. Uh, what kind of impact did that have on the church body? So as our as our church as our church plan it really bonded us together and helped us feel like a family and say and to know like what is our mission and calling in that community but for all of our community partners the people who helped us they got to feel like they were a part of doing something important mm, and good yeah. in the urban core but also saying like my small contribution like the look like me buying an extra turkey or using that free turkey that i got because i spent three hundred dollars at the grocery store making it and giving it to this initiative it mattered it mattered mm. to somebody and let them know that they've been seen and loved in a, in a very Christ-like, everlasting way. Yeah, there's something contagious about generosity. Yeah. Uh, and I think on a intuitive level, people know that there's a joy in that. Like 15 years ago or so, we, we revamped Ames Elementary School. Remember that? Some of you here back then? And it was a beautiful thing. We got them a new playground and, and it was dilapidated and we helped to fix up the whole thing. And, and neighbors started joining in. People in businesses started joining in. They, they want to be part of something that's significant like that. But it also created such a, 
I, it just felt good. It, it's good. it feels good when you individually are generous, but when you do it as a group, there, it just builds a solidarity, an usness, and, and it's just a, a, a beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then I'll share with you real quickly one thing that we do in our family to help, our, to help combat discontent in our kids, and this has to do with uh, Christmas, actually. So my kids, when they were really little, all Christmas was was the gifts, right? And I really wanted to kind of take away that element for a little bit so that they can really see Jesus and so that we can have more conversations about what does it mean to acknowledge that we've been loved in this really amazing incarnational way. But they were little, so I couldn't just like spout out a bunch of theology at three and four year olds. That doesn't work. So what I did was I took a look out and really like this is the, the beginning place of generosity. It's opening our eyes to see those who are in need around us. And started looking around and noticing that in our church we had a lot of singles and college students, this was back in Boston, who couldn't go home for the holidays. There were a lot of young families who couldn't travel for cost or because their kids were too little. Um, and that both parents were kind of burning the candle on both ends to make the the holiday season work for their kids. And so what we did was I put together this little scavenger hunt of all the different locations that we were going to go to, homes of these people, and we put together pancake mix uh, and like different mix-ins, blueberries or chocolate chips. And then we got up really early on Christmas morning and we, my kids did the scavenger hunt and every stop they would drop off something and, uh, and wish them a, a Merry Christmas. But they had to do all of this before we could open gifts. We've been doing this Torture. For, <laughs> <laughs> but we've been doing this for nine years now, and what's really cool is just last Christmas, my kids were like, so who are we seeing on Christmas? Because it's already worked in them that we That's give good. before we get. Torture so. your kids into generosity. That's lesson number one. <laughs> hey, listen, it's beautiful to see that you kind of embody the, the, the generosity that, that we're asking you to lead us on, and it's just beautiful to see that. I'd love to ask you some more things, but I was a windbag this morning. We don't yeah, have any no, time. so. But I tell you what, how about we have up, up here to preach pretty soon? What do you say? That, you, you can share more with us, all right? Sure. Hey, you know, in the Bible, uh, when they set apart people for ministry, they would, you know, lay hands on them and, and commission them. So I'd like to have us pray, uh, kind of commission you for this role, this important role that you're taking on. Would you stand? And I, I'll lead us in a prayer. And if you feel free doing so, would you extend your hand in this direction? Uh, as we pray for Oshita, Father, thank you for this woman that you have brought to us. Uh, thank you for the experiences she's been through and uh, the learning she's had. And that, that uh, thank you for being involved in her life from the very beginning in, uh, in, in, in unique ways to, to bring her to this spot. And Lord, we as a congregation affirm her into this role that, to which you've called her. And we pray that as she enters into, embarks on this ministry, that, that she would just be anointed of you, that you'd give her uh, a kind of favor in the eyes of others as she goes to talk to other nonprofits to build partnerships and, and goes to look at the needs of the city that, that we can possibly pour into. I pray, Lord God, that you'd be a fence around her, protecting her, her and her family, that nothing uh, of the, the enemy could get in there and sow dissension or discord or anything. And we pray, Lord, that she would have a profound satisfaction, a joy in doing what you've called her to do. That she wouldn't grow weary in well-doing, Lord. Uh, just be on her, in her, working through her. Uh, Lord, help us to have wisdom and, and as we come around her and, and give her a vision of what you see that this church is capable of. And give us, Lord God, the fortitude to stand up to do the things that, that the, you're calling us to do. Uh, we just surrender this whole important ministry to you and the sister to you, and we commission her in Jesus' name to carry out the function that you've called her to in league with all of us. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. amen. Oh, you, you can stay standing. 
I want to remind you that, that uh, about the children's church thing. Uh, if, if you're open to doing that, uh, you're being generous with your time, you're investing in the future, but stop by at the hello desk and they'll give you more information about that. Uh, I'd like to also ask the prayer teams to come forward and if you're here this morning uh, and have any need that could use prayer, I encourage you to come up here by the stairs and they'd, they'd love to minister to you. And if you're here this morning and you're not a surrendered follower of Jesus, I encourage you to consider becoming one. And if you come up here and talk to these folks, they'd love to explain to you what that is all about. So folks, as we leave here, can we do it as a people who are committed to uh, getting all of our life from Christ, who are committed to seeking first the kingdom of God, and who are committed to practicing generosity. If you're in agreement with that, say amen. amen. Go out and love your neighbors. See you next week.